right? Yeah. <laughs> there will be snacks, there will be crafts, there will be all kinds of goodies down there for you. Your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Acts, and we are in chapter 10. I want to look at from about verse 34 to 38 and that, and that or to 48 in that process uh, last week uh, Chung Soo Kim spoke but the time before that we talked about uh, how Cornelius came into the uh, kingdom of God as a result of God's intervention on his life because of his faithfulness and his devotion to him and how he opened up an opportunity Peter to go and to proclaim the gospel message and to recognize that what God says is clean, even if you think it's unclean, you better change your mind. And so here we find ourselves in the middle of this passage of scripture, and I want us to kind of look at what Peter actually says when he gets there to the house of Cornelius, and he is met inside this Gentile's house with Not only Cornelius and his family, but a lot of his extended family and friends, he invites them in. He's he's got a captive audience of Gentiles that he wants to share with them this message of God. And so that's where we find ourselves. And so the Apostle Peter, he's preaching this message nearly 2,000 years ago, but yet it still has some very pointed things for us today, and it's as fresh today as it was then. And, And I think we need to hear some of the things he has to say. Now, Within his message, I think there are four essential statements that he makes about salvation. And you can write these down in four things. There's the first thing would be that, that there is, there's healing. And that sounds good. The second word would be hanging. That has a negative connotation to it, but we'll see where we go. The third would be hearing. And finally, fourth, Holy Spirit. And so as he lays out his, his sermon before this household, God is probably sitting there saying, okay, Peter, let's get on with this because you're taking too long. And so he, he demonstrates to them that uh, he, he wants them into the kingdom by presenting his spirit upon their lives. Well, so let's look at the first essential thing of salvation that Peter begins to speak about. People, they need healing. I mean, we all need healing. That's, that's I think, something that is essential to each one of us in our lives. But there are all kinds of healings. And after all, Jesus is the ultimate healer. And when we look at his life in the Gospels, we see that he healed in a variety of ways. And so in verses 36 through 38, Peter makes this statement. He says, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. See, they should know about it. Now, you have to understand, they are on the eastern, or on the western side of Israel, right along the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea, in a major metropolitan area of forty to 50,000 people. So this isn't just a little podunk town that you might find maybe over in Galilee, along the, the Jordan. This is a thriving city that King Herod has built, and he has stationed Cornelius there as a, as a Roman soldier overseeing a hundred men who are there to protect the palace of the king. And this is a a very prominent individual, Cornelius. But he's been devoted to God. And Peter tells him, you know all about what went on in Galilee with Jesus. 
You heard about what had happened down there just in, in the Jordan River when he was baptized and John proclaimed that those wonderful things. And you know that he went about with the power of the Holy Spirit healing people and, and doing miraculous things. You've, you, you, this has not escaped your notice. So let me talk to you about Jesus, he says, and about his healing power. So what kind of healing was Peter talking about here? Now the word that's used here, the Greek word that's used 28 times in the New Testament, and it's used for all different types of healings. So we'll look at just a few of them. The, the first kind of healing might include that which is physical healing, which we would think, well, that's the first thing that goes to our mind, physical healing. Somebody has, has a paralysis of the legs, and Jesus comes by, and they're walking. Somebody can't see, and Jesus comes by, and now they see. Somebody can't hear, and he touches their ears, and they hear. We know that Jesus went about doing all these wonderful physical healings, and an example of one is over in another Roman city. It's a crossroads over and called Capernaum. It's over on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, but it's a place where the soldiers would go and interact. And there was another centurion over there that met with Jesus one time. And so in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 through 13, we find this story of another centurion who encounters a wonderful physical healing power of Jesus. It says that when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority and with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and he said, those who were following, he said, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness in the place that there will be weeping and gnashing and teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now that word healed that's used in that story with Jesus and the centurion, it's the same word that's used in this passage that Peter is preaching about. And the Lord physically healed the servant in a very miraculous way. He didn't even go to him. He spoke, and from a distance, by the time the centurion got home, his servant was healed. A lot of times we think Jesus laid his hands on them. Or they laid their hands on Jesus. Or we saw with Peter and John, and if they walked past and their shadow fell upon somebody, they might be healed. But Jesus just says, you believe, but because you believe, your servant's healed. And he was healed that very moment. Now this is the same word that's used here in Peter in chapter 10 of Acts. And the Lord physically was healing people. Most of the time, He uses natural healing process that He's given us. But He also uses other things, dedicated doctors and nurses and people within the medical profession. He's gifted us with the ability to understand the intricacies of the human body and to create medications and surgeries to do things that are 
we would just boggle our mind that they can actually do. But these are all processes in which God allows us to be healed physically. Many times we see that God also answers our prayers and people are physically healed just by our prayers in ways that go beyond what the doctors could even do. That's why James tells us in the fifth chapter in verse 16, therefore we're to confess our sins to one another and pray for that you may be healed. There's that, that word again. It's an effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Jesus is our physical healer, but he's also an emotional healer. And sometimes we, we're on the edge of our emotions, aren't we? But, but really, he can bring healing to that. And we know that because in a passage in Luke chapter 4, we have this story. And in that passage, Jesus is quoting Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And Isaiah, the passage says, The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the full year of the Lord. Now he has said, He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That word terminology, bind up the brokenhearted, is the same word. Healed. He has sent me to heal in our lives when we're crushed emotionally. Maybe we've lost a loved one. Maybe somebody that we care about has decided they don't want us in their life anymore. And our hearts are just breaking. But Jesus was sent into this world to help heal our broken hearts. And so He does that. So once again, that word, bind up, is, is the same word that's used here by Peter. He's our emotional healer. But most of all, important of all, I think, Jesus is also our spiritual healer. A spiritual healing is probably by far the most important kind of healing that we could ever have. Because you see, in that physical healing, it's temporary. Because we're going to get hurt, we're going to get sick again, and it's, it's temporary. Emotional healing as well can also be temporary because that relationship can't possibly be restored or, or we to cope with things and deal with a little bit better. But Jesus came to heal spiritually and that type of healing is eternal. It doesn't go away. It, it can't be broken again. And we see the example of that in Matthew. 13 verses 14 and 15 when Jesus he's talking with the people but he speaks about people who don't get healed when they could have had this this wonderful spiritual healing in their life they they did not because they refused to accept him listen what it says there in Matthew chapter 13 in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you'll keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. Of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their eels, ears, and understand with their heart. In return, I would heal them. 
But when people refuse to listen to the Word of God, when they refuse to see what He has done, when they just cut all things off from Him, they're in essence losing their opportunity for spiritual healing. But He says, if they would but just do that, I would heal them. He's not talking physical healing or emotionally. He's talking about spiritual healing. And we need that in our lives. Now on the other hand, here, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 talks about people who have been spiritually healed simply by putting their trust in God. He says this about Jesus. He says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross. Wounds, you are healed. And Peter is speaking there in that book about the spiritual healing that Christ brings in our lives. If if we would just rely upon Him. Because He's the one who took all of this onto Himself in our place. Stuart Hamblin <clears throat> found that type of spiritual healing in 1949. Now he, he's, he's a successful singer-songwriter of that age. Um, <clears throat> but he was successful in the eyes of the world, but he was lost in the eyes of faith. He was uh, quite the heavy drinker, as I read, but he eventually gave his life to Christ. And uh, before he did that, he'd written one song. I'm not going to play it for you, but the song uh, is called, I Won't Go Hunting for You, I Won't Go Hunting with You, Jake, But I'll Go Chasing Women. Okay, so we take a man from that perspective in life. And we're going to change him into a man who's passionate for Christ. And that's what happens. Now, Stewart had been in some Western movies, including some that uh, John Wayne was in, and they became friends. When Stewart put his faith in Jesus uh, at a Billy Graham crusade, he then later went and talked with John Wayne. And John Wayne asked him at a party one time, he said, um, what's this I hear? You got religion. And Stuart, he just answered, he says, it's no secret what God can do in a man's life. And John Wayne replied, well, that sounds like a song. And after their conversation, Stuart then wrote this song. And I want to read you some of the words of it. The chimes of time ring out the news. Another day is through. Some people slipped and fell. Was that someone? You. You may have longed for added strength, your courage to renew. Do not be disheartened, for I have news for you. It is no secret what God can do. What He's done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. Quite a change in his lyrics. Quite a change in his life. Spiritual healing. You see, I think people need all kinds of healing in their lives. The physical, yes. The emotional, but the spiritual is more important. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Paul sums it up in this manner. He tells the people there, he says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. 
So he in essence is saying, let, let Jesus be your healer. It's important for salvation. The second thing is this, it's important for salvation, essentially, is the word hanging. Now, there could be no healing without the hanging. Really, that's true when we look at this. And Peter makes that verse true in verse 39, that statement, when he says this, We're witnesses of all the things that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. You see, when I hear the word hanging, the first thing I think of is some of those old westerns. You know, and it seems like almost in every old western, they're they're hanging somebody. You know, now but now those westerns, there's a lot of them like Gunsmoke and Have Gun Will Travel and all those other ones that go with it with Will Rogers, Roy Rogers, and you know, but those those movies they were they were still kind of clean in their hanging. But hangings really are a very grotesque way of dying. And our movies back then, they made it a little bit easier, a little bit simpler on our eyes. And a lot of times, maybe you just saw the feet. Hanging was something that was common in our early ages is here in the United States. But hanging has been around for a long time. But really, it's a gruesome thing to see someone hanging by a rope. And uh, some of the people who conspired to kill our president, Abraham Lincoln. They were hung and put on display for people to see what happens to treason and traitors. After the Civil War, there were a lot of lynchings that took place. Still, for a hundred years, they did in the South. December 2006, I will not forget seeing things on the media. Saddam Hussein, he was justly put to death by hanging. Now, the sentence was carried out after Saddam had been convicted of murdering 146 people. Now we go, you know, there are a lot more people, but they were able to just take that 146 people and attribute it directly to him. And with that, he was convicted of murder. I know it's just a tiny fraction of the thousands that he really killed, but he deserved to die, it seems, by our world standards. But you know what? Saddam Hussein did not want to be hung or hanged. He said that is for a common criminal. He wanted to be faced with a firing squad. That would be his brave choice, unblindfolded. But that's not what he got. But you know what? Saddam Hussein's death by hanging on a gruesome cross really was nothing compared to the death of Jesus when he was hanging on a cross. You see, after 2,000 years of church history, we have a difficult time trying to understand the scandalous cross. We put it on necklaces, we wear it on rings, we tattoo it on our bodies, we hang it from the mirrors in our cars, we make pictures and 
post them around our, our, our living rooms and places. The cross to us seems something totally different, but it, the picture of a cross back then was something that was horrific. And yet, our Savior went to a cross. They believe that the death on a cross originated by the Persians, but uh, it was really um, enhanced, so to speak, by Alexander the Great and the, the Greeks, the Romans Empire. To the Jewish mind, being nailed to a cross was such a shameful way to die that they considered anyone who were crucified to be cursed in God's sight. That's why they wanted Jesus hung there, so that he would be cursed in God's sight. Remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, though. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You see, there are the apostles referring to the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, where the cursed would be hung and crucified. But yet, we love the cross. I mean, for, for, for what it does, because we know that Jesus died on the cross, not because he was a criminal, but he died on the cross in our place for our sins to redeem us. He suffered and he died on the cross to take our punishment, to save us, to redeem us. And we thank God for the cross, don't we? We thank God also that Jesus rose from the dead. Because without that resurrection, the cross would actually have meant nothing to us. We would still be within our sins, and it would have been a useless death on Him, and our faith would be futile. And see, because without the resurrection... There is no eternal life. Jesus has to conquer death first. So he had to die. Now listen to what Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 39 and 40. It says, We're witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. You see, Jesus is alive. But there had to be a hanging for our salvation. It was very essential. The third essential thing of salvation is this. Hearing. We have to hear. You have to hear it first before you can believe it. If you've never heard something, you don't know what it is. There's got to be some kind of connecting point between the message of salvation and our own lives. And that normally comes by somebody communicating with us and telling us those stories, informing us of what Christ has done for us in our behalf. And so Peter points out that truth in verse 40 through 43 when he says this. He says, God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. 
that there, through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. You see, whoever believes in Jesus is going to have the remission of their sins. It's going to be wiped away. They're going to have a clean slate. It's as if they had never done anything wrong in their lives. And there's no penalty for innocence. But that's how Jesus wants to present us to his Father in heaven, as one who is innocent, as one who is not guilty, as one who has no way of having anything hold him down because he wants to secure for us our place in heaven. And so he does it on the cross. And that's great news. Because there are a lot of people out here who, who think there's no way God would accept them because of all the bad things they have done. That they can't do enough good. So God calls some Christians to preach. And He calls all Christians to witness, to testify that Jesus is their one and only Savior. So somebody's got to tell it so that people can hear. That's also why just before that we went back into heaven, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So who are God's witnesses today? It's us. We are. We're the ones who are to be in our own Jerusalem, which is our own hometown. So from here in Versailles, and then, and then to, to Judea, which goes out beyond our walls that we're comfortable in. And we, yet there's some familiarity and we're close to home. And then he says, go into Samaria, those places you don't want to go because there are people who live there that you don't want to be around. The Jewish people, they despised the Samaritans because to them the Samaritans left faith or did because they used to be Jews, but they intermarried with the Canaanites, and now they've got their own nation, and they don't want anything to do with them at all. And then he says, not only to those that you don't care about, you don't like, but even to the places you've never been, to the remotest parts of the world. That's us. Chung Soo was here last week, and he talked about what's going on in North Korea. The ministry that they have in North Korea trying to introduce Christ to a forbidden religious nation. And yet, God is going to go where people are told no. And secretly, the churches in these places like China, North Korea, and other countries that are closed to Christianity, the churches are growing by the thousands in hiding. Because if it's discovered that they believe in Jesus or they have a Bible, they're killed. But they still need to hear. And we're the ones to send. We're the ones to go. youth minister once told about a day when he was playing with his four-year-old son and they were playing doctor. And so the dad held up the stethoscope to his heart and the son was listening in and he asked him, what do you hear? And the little boy said, he got all quiet and he said, well, what do you hear? And his son said, well, it's Jesus. He's walking around. 
Isn't that cute? You know, we, we tell him, you have Jesus in your heart. And he says, I hear him. He's walking around. But then his son asked this question. But dad, why can't Jesus get out? And I know that we have Jesus in our lives. We have embraced the gift that he's offered. But why don't we let him out? To impact our world around us. People, they need to hear the message. Or they don't have salvation. The fourth essential aspect of salvation is this. Holy Spirit. People can never be saved without the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Verses 44 through 48 there in chapter 10 of Acts remind us of the presence of God's power in His Holy Spirit. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we can he? Stay on for a few days. You see, here the Holy Spirit is working in a very special way on the lives of these Gentiles to demonstrate to the Jews that God wants them. Just as He demonstrated it on that day of Pentecost when He sent His Spirit down on the apostles and it was like flames of fire above their heads. And they recognized that God was doing something unique and the church began. And on that day, 3,000 were added. Now on this day in Cornelius' household, they all receive Christ and he's commanded them to be baptized there's nothing that should keep them from becoming Christians and there's nothing in this world that should keep anybody else from having the opportunity to embrace the salvation that he wants to offer and his Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us of sin and his Holy Spirit is the one who cleanses us of that and makes us righteous when he comes and enters into our life by our faith and our trust and our death and our burial and baptism into the name of Jesus he takes up residency in us and he cleans house and we can't find salvation without him it's essential In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the even remotest parts of the earth. And this is remote for them because now they're walking into the house of a Gentile, which they had been told never to do. And the Holy Spirit displays himself there and his power. We don't need the same demonstration today. But we do need the power and the presence of the Spirit in our lives. The Lord spoke clearly about the truth several places in the Gospel of John. Speaking to Nicodemus there in John chapter 3, we like to go all the way down to verse 16. That's one of our favorite verses, right? But go back up in the beginning of that chapter in John 3 and look about verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. And here's the, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he answers him saying this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and 
the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. The night before Jesus went on the cross, we see that in John chapter 16, he said this, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage if I go away. Stop for a second. The disciples are going, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's to our advantage if you, if you leave. We like having you around. I mean, you're teaching us all about the kingdom of God, and, and we're, we're, we're seeing miraculous things happen, and, and, and the world is great, and, and, and everything around us. What do you mean it's to our advantage if you go away? Where are you going? Listen to what he says. That's to your advantage if I go away. The helper will not come to you, but if I go away, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. The Holy Spirit is only going to come into our lives if Jesus left. He had to go to the cross. He had to die. He had to be buried. He had to come back to life. And he had to ascend into heaven in order that he might send his spirit, his Holy Spirit, to come and convict us, redeem us, and empower us. Holy Spirit is essential for our salvation. And if we don't have it, obviously something is wrong. See, the Holy Spirit, not only can He convict people of their sin, but He gives them hope. Paul said that those who are in the flesh, in Romans chapter 8, they cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. No one can be saved without the work of the Holy Spirit, without hearing the gospel message. No one can be saved without the hanging of a Savior on a cross or the healing of that comes from Him.
But it's up to us to accept it. It's up to us who have accepted it to share it. So that our family, our friends, our neighbors, our anybody we have an opportunity to, to share with the message of Jesus, it makes a difference in their lives. But you've got to be willing to do it. You are His witness. And your testimony will draw people, just letting them know what He has done in your life. And His Spirit is the one that works then. It's not you. You just plant the seed. Or you water one that's already been planted. And He provides the growth. We're going to have our invitation.